So when I finished the TEDx talk, there was this computer programmer that came up to me and he said that, you know, you gave me hope. Before this talk, I used to think that I have no way to make an impact because I'm just a programmer. And when I heard your talk and I thought to myself, okay, she's just a designer and she's doing something. And you made me think that I can also make an impact. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Chet McLeanler, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Today, I'm super excited to have Liron Levy-Turkenich, right? Yes, perfect. At Looks Like Work. And Liron is a dear friend, but even before we became friends, I've been following her career for around eight years, and I'm very, very excited to have her here. So Liron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Tell us who you are, what you do, and what's the difference between those two? Okay, yes. This, it's a good question about the difference. <laughs> well, I'm Liron, as, uh, as you said, and it's very hard to self-describe, but I am a designer, a typeface designer, a research design entrepreneur, and I'm a multi-passionate person doing lots of projects at the same time in, in parallel, and I'm also a mother. In my uh, um, official profession, I am a typeface designer. I, uh, I have a master's degree in typeface design, which is a very tiny niche. <laughs> and um, this is my uh, part of my day-to-day work. I design typefaces, uh, custom typefaces, normally in Hebrew, but also in Latin, Amharic, and Arabic. And I do it for uh, international companies. I also have uh, my own uh, venture, which is Aravrit. Uh, it's a hybrid writing system that combines Hebrew and Arabic and readable in both scripts. So that's quite interesting and quite a big part of my life. And at the same time, I'm also working. I have my uh, hobby of productivity. <laughs> so I'm working on uh, a system that's called visual productivity. I have a weekly newsletter. Uh, it's called 52 Ideas. This one is in Hebrew. And there I write about uh, running multiple projects, about productivity systems, tools, uh, tricks, hacks, and ideas. I'm also talking a lot about balance and about being active in your career, designing your own path, basically, Uh, reaching out to people. And this is something I'm a big advocate of. And I also, um, I have a few projects in the making, like a research of uh, lost Hebrew typefaces uh, that were kind of kept and maintained in Poland throughout the Second World War. So I'm researching these with a dear colleague. I also have a Haggadah for families and children in the making, uh, also doing that with a few colleagues. And it should be out probably next year, if I'm being optimistic. (laughs) And I'm also teaching in the academy in Israel, in Design Academy. And normally, in normal days, I go abroad a lot. When we're not uh, in the midst of a pandemic, I uh, travel about once a month to give workshops and talks about uh, either Aravrit or just about Hebrew type design in different, uh, different places around the world. So this keeps me quite busy. So much here to unpack, Liron, <laughs> and thanks for, for walking us through this. So we first met, I think, and I, I don't think you remember it, uh, during your graduation project. I do, I do, actually. <laughs> with another dear friend, with Inat from Design Break, who also wrote about, about that, I think, in 2012. Yeah. 
And your project really striked such a chord. It was already Aravrit. It was the font you talked about, melding Hebrew and Arabic and being readable in both languages. So I would love it if you could tell us more about it and what brought you to do it. But also, it's been eight years. It's a long time, especially those eight years, I think, both in our world, but also in your personal world. So tell us a little bit what brought you to create this. And how it's been really being kind of the person behind Aravrit. Maybe some people know Aravrit before they know your name, right? <laughs> yeah, most likely. <laughs> yeah, when you said eight years, it made me think that eight years is, it just sounds like such a long time. And because I deal with, with Aravrit almost daily, it doesn't feel like I've been dealing with it for eight years on one hand. On the other hand, it's definitely part of me and my career. But at no point it was a full-time job. So I think that in this, in this sense, I never got tired of it. And when you think about a project that's been going on for this long, you know, at first you're not sure how much progress have you made. I mean, was there a plateau? Was there just, you know, like going backwards or, you know, being confused on the way? I mean, these are the thoughts that came to mind when you asked me, when you, when you mentioned the eight years. And I'm thinking that if I look back, it's gone through so much. I mean, the progress is just outstanding. And I usually like to, I mean, I don't consider it a linear progress. I say that it's like a tree with branches. So the branches are kind of, you know, branching out and there are leaves and fruits and flowers and so on. You know, there is not just one way to go with Ravrit. So it just branched out, branched out, you know, to so many places. Uh, so going even back, the whole concept of Ravrit was actually started because I live in Haifa and in Haifa we pride ourselves in saying that we're like a coexistent city. Uh, we're always so proud that uh, Jews and Arabs are living side by side and one day I was walking down the street and realized that I'm actually, I never studied Arabic and I just looked at the sign and ignored a third of it. So the Arabic part was just looking like it's ornaments or beautiful shapes and decorations but not as content. And as a person who loves words and letters, and I knew that this is what I want to do in life later on, I, it just struck me and I, was, I felt like I have to do something. But on the other hand, I don't consider myself, or at least I didn't consider myself as the, you know, the person who goes to protest and this activist classic type. So I, I just set on a huge goal that actually everyone told me that I shouldn't pursue and I shouldn't do because I will never make it work. <laughs> So maybe, maybe that's something to, to talk about later. But I started, I decided that I'm going to send this message and try to make the Arabic and Hebrew both have the same respect on a sign. And this is where Aravrit started from. So I went through a lot of thoughts and ideas of how to combine two scripts that look so different, but yet have so much of com commonalities and history that's shared. And this is where it came. So I, I followed the model with the Latin that someone discovered, uh, I think, almost yeah, more than 100 years ago, uh, that you need just the top part of Latin letters in order to read. And I went on and saw what's happening with the Arabic and what's happening with the Hebrew. And this is how I found my system. So the, work, the way it works now is that if you read Arabic, you look at the top part. And if you read Hebrew, you look at the bottom part. And it's always the same meaning of the word. So you will be able to read it and someone else will be able to read it uh, in a single moment in time and get the same meaning. And this project really resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, and how many words do we have in Aravrit by now, Leon? <laughs> Never counted, actually. Even <laughs> my, my press page isn't updated, as, as you can imagine. Yeah, it's been, it's been well received, both in Israel, which uh, at first surprised me, and then internationally, which surprised me even more. Yeah, places like uh, the Design Museum in London, and right now the Design Museum in Barcelona is actually really these days presenting it. And um, TEDx stage in Vienna, where people don't speak either Hebrew or Arabic. So yeah, it's been it's it's got some uh, media coverage. Let's say <laughs> some is is very very humble because uh, it's gotten a lot of attention and coverage, and, and justifiably so. And I wonder because I think you alluded to it a little bit, but when you started working on this project while you were in school, what was the feedback that you got? Were people encouraging the view and then when you got to the feedback after showing it to to the to a wider audience in your graduation did you imagine that it would get to Vienna and London etc I think um, 
how do you say, you hit the nail in the head on this because <laughs> there is a big difference between how the academy and how school kind of accepted it or treated this. I think I was, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but uh, to, to phrase it, but I was kind of an odd creature. I was so into typefaces and letter mm-hmm. forms that I'm not sure that people knew how to behave around this project. I mean, it was clear that it's readable. And as I said, I didn't get much support for doing it. This was my third, I think. I had three ideas before this one. And this one was the one that they finally said like, okay, yeah, go for it because you're out of time and you are <laughs> almost like you have less than three months to go but I got the warning that I will not be able to make it work it won't be able to make to to be legible people won't be able to read it and I think that what kept me very strong is uh, first of all I had a I had a mentor who was uh, it, this was my, another side hustle that I did but um, Oded Ezer was very supportive supportive of me he wasn't part of the academy so I was studying in a different place so it was nice to get an outside perspective and he believed that this will work And also, I always um, surrounded myself, both friends and family, with people who are not designers. And I think this, this was very, very important for, the, you know, for the, the fact that I did want to continue with it. Because to my friends and you know, my uh, engineer uh, family, everyone's an engineer around me. So for them, it was, you know, it was a technical issue that needed solving. And yeah, I can, of course, I can solve it. And my friends believed in me, so I went on. And it was very important for me from the start that this will not be a project just aimed for designers or for artists or for a high elite of people who will just, they will just get it and the others won't. It was so important that everyone will get it. And this was also a part, I think, of the Academy's resistance to this project. I think it's so interesting because, uh, and we've had conversations about this, you came from the world of uh, font or typeface design, right? And in that world, it also makes sense. But I think for anyone who doesn't come from that specific world, it is so much bigger than just uh, design or just type or font, right? It's like, it's a language, it's a way of life, it's a political statement, mm. it's many things. And I wonder what you can tell us about how you regard yourself and how you feel about what you do in the world. Do you still think about yourself as specifically a designer or even more specifically a font designer? Or do you look at yourself as someone who's connecting the dots and who wants to have maybe a bigger say about what's happening in the world this is such it's, it's such an amazing question that you ask <laughs> <laughs> you know my my tendency and I think a lot of other people's tendency is just to eliminate the overwhelm that we create for ourselves by just you know zooming in and focusing only on that thing that we're doing so if I'm if I say I'm a typeface designer it helps me be a bit more you know relaxed because I know that I am doing type and this is how I define myself and it's really hard to start thinking about big picture because if you're thinking what's your place in the world you might get just you know overwhelmed or you will pause everything and be kind of shocked uh, either you know feeling kind of I don't have a place in the world or I'm not meaningful or sometimes you might be a bit scared of the impact you might make and this is something I I sometimes honestly feel with Ravrit I know that if I go all in, you know, something might happen that I won't have any control of and it will be bigger than me. And I do feel that it's bigger in me, uh, bigger than me in many senses and in many anecdotes, you know, like uh, seeing graffiti of this that I haven't designed or stuff like that just makes me understand, okay, this thing is bigger than me. But what I think that helped me and still helps me with this zoom out that is so crucial, you know, for understanding where we are in the world and just not just focusing on one thing. And this is, by the way, the reason that I even define myself right now as a design entrepreneur, which is something that, I, I mean, I still cringe when I say it, although I know it's true because I do, do, I mean, I have different ventures. I know it's the right word for it, but I cringe because it means, okay, there is maybe a potential for a big impact here. And it freaks me out <laughs> so <laughs> when I do when I do reflections and I, I love doing I do like a daily and uh, and weekly and monthly and quarterly and yearly reflections and these are the places that I let myself zoom out and look at the big picture can I ask what are the questions you ask yourself when you're doing a reflection 
Yes, of course. Uh, well, there are, there are several reflections. So I'll, I'll tell you the daily one because the daily one I think is interesting. It's uh, what are my achievements for that I, that I got this day? Uh, how did I feel? Because this is a question we rarely ask ourselves. How did I feel today, actually? And then I, um, I do like a little gratitude exercise of naming three things that I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's so difficult to find this. This is, you know, another thing that's why so it's so hard. <laughs> so many good things in life. But, you know, I, sometimes I get stuck on this, but I, I insist on doing it. And then I ask, um, what could I have done better in, you know, one part of the day? And the last question is, what have I learned today? What have I learned today? This is so powerful because mm -hmm. I think we sometimes, you know, hindsight is 2020 and we can, you know, we can do our New Year's resolutions and think, oh, wow, I learned something this year. But to actually stop every day on a daily basis and ask ourselves, what did I learn today? It doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be something positive, maybe. So many times it's not. <laughs> It yeah, can, it can range from, you know, either technical things that I've learned that I was happy. And it can also be with things I realized about myself, about my life, about my friends, about whatever. And, and this takes me to another question. And I'm totally mixing the, the order here because you're so fascinating. But I think one of the things that define you, in my perspective, at least, is that you are a lifelong learner. And on the one hand, and we just talked about it a minute before we started recording, you've had a lot of studying in like academic, traditional way, and you're also teaching uh, in the academia, uh, but you're, you're also such a self-taught and lifelong learning person. So can you share a little bit about, first of all, what, where, where did you learn? What did you learn? And what do you, do you teach? But also, where do you see the differences and sort of what you what you prefer to learn in a more you know academic framework and what you prefer to learn by yourself or finding different resources to teach teach yourself this is another excellent question that i you know before we started talking i never thought about it i love learning on my own i mean i love the fact that i can independently create and learn and do whatever I want. Seriously, I can just find answers or I can find resources and do it. And I love, I love this. It gives me so much autonomy. I know I'm not dependent on anyone, but my, you know, my, my browser. So <laughs> my <laughs> browser, but what I do like about, you know, formal studies or courses, and I'm still not done with my studies. I will continue for a PhD a hundred percent is the framework. And this is what I think everyone should take from academy is the framework that someone gives you permission. I mean, yeah, you pay good money for it, but someone gives you permission to now work on your own stuff and you can go wild with it and you can take it to extremes and you should work hard because this is the time frame that's really well-defined and gives you, you know, the, the time and space to, to work on stuff and improve yourself. So I studied in uh, Shankar, the first, uh, my bachelor's degree in uh, it's BDS, in visual communications. And right after I went to the UK and did my, um, my master's degree in typeface design in, at the University of Reading. And it's a really small program of uh, 12 to 14 people every year that graduate from it, uh, from all around the world. And studying in both places really showed me how, how much studies or academy studies can be so different from one another. So the whole surrounding and the whole, you know, way to, to treat students and self-learning even in this framework. Uh, so I, I had these, these few, and then I also teach and I taught in the three academies in Israel and still teaching. So different classes also. I'm do, I did some theory classes and history classes and also typography. So type design or just letter classes, we can say. Well, I, I have to be honest. I don't think the design academies is the way to learn anymore, but I do think that it's a very easy and uh, approachable way to give people the framework. So if someone will just do the bare minimum, I don't think it will work. This doesn't guarantee any success in life. And I just talked about this a few days ago with someone who studied just, you know, at, at university who is not related to design. And she said exactly the same thing. It gives you a structure, but it doesn't promise that you will succeed. 
So it, you have to continue learning. There is no other way, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's so true, especially in the last decade or so, things just change so rapidly. You have to stay on your feet. And I'm wondering, I for one, I'm a person that just had some academic education and I'm always kind of dreaming of more. But one of the things that I found, uh, you know, I studied translation and editing and I went on to do very, very different things. But I still look back to my studies and I think I got so much out of it that are not specifically about translation or editing. So I'm wondering what are the things that you got out of your degrees or, or of your not even the degrees, but the time that you spent uh, studying towards them and the places that you studied at that are not necessarily about the degree. First of all, I have to say that you're, you're a great example of someone who, you know, started studying formally somewhere and then you got to whole different places. And I always love reading these stories. I'm, I'm such a sucker for like, uh, you know, my morning routine uh, articles <laughs> and stuff like that, or like, what did I study and what am I doing now stuff? Because it's, you know, it, this just shows the endless possibilities and how much you can take control of your own faith and path. And I think that what I learned most, it, first of all, I came to study, to studies, um, to the first, like, uh, undergrad without having any, any experience whatsoever in design or art. I was such a newbie and I was such a shocked person <laughs> and I didn't open my mouth for the first year of school because I didn't understand what composition is. And I, you know, everyone felt so like they, they knew what they were saying. And I was, I felt like I'm the only insecure person. Uh, but then when I got it, I, I like, I understood what's happening. I felt a lot more confident. So this is something that school definitely gave me the confidence to, you know, start from literally scratch and you know become someone who knows something and can later even teach these things and also find interesting ways of telling students right now that it's okay that you don't feel like you know everything it will click at the end another thing I learned is that you have to look outward you cannot if we were talking about zooming in and being being focused you cannot zoom in and be focused in your studies uh, we were just mentioning people uh, when I was studying that in the UK, I, I used to go to London often and visit museums and exhibitions. And I think it didn't make me a, a less focused and dedicated typeface designer. I feel that it enriched me and also gave me a, a bit of a perspective on what I'm working. Uh, designing the letter G was not the most important thing in life. And it was <laughs> devastating if I failed with it. So just perspective and looking outward, even though you're focused on studies at the moment. I love it. I love it. And I think it gives you such cultural references and puts everything in perspective. Why am I designing this? Why am I translating it? And another thing which I think really ties into what a lot of your other passions today, and I, I personally really relate to that, I think we have our talents or our interests that bring us to what we go and formally study or bring us to what we decide to formally do in life and our career that we specifically choose. But then in our life, whether it's uh, a lot of times it's through, through working, especially if you're an entrepreneur or self-employed or through other avenues in life, you discover other things that you're passionate about. Yeah. And for me specifically, I can tell you that I kind of felt guilty about it. Hey, I, I chose to be a translator. How come I'm interested in design or how come I'm interested in tech. So at first it can be a little bit daunting. Hey, I need to be focused. Like yeah. you said, I need to zoom in. But then it's it's really interesting to me how you took those things. Uh, you know, you're, you want to be more productive in order to be a better designer or, or to be a better design entrepreneur. You want to explore what other people do that, that works for them. And that in itself became one of the things that you do. So can you tell us more about your passion for productivity and what you do with the, with your newsletter and other things that you may want to do in the future with this? Yes, absolutely. When you said daunting, I, I immediately felt it in my chest because <laughs> daunting is the word. And, you know, for, I can say, I can even say the word suffered because for many years I suffered with it, starting from the moment that uh, a dear friend of mine said when we were studying in the UK, he heard that I'm also doing book cover designs in Israel as a freelance work 
And he told me, like, why are you doing this? You need to be focused on type design. You're dedicating this year. And I felt so bad. I felt so guilty. And I said, like, why am I doing this? And why am I pulling myself out of focus all of the time? And I, I, this is something I was, you know, thinking about constantly until I started, um, I, I called it finding new heroes because I started talking to people. I started interviewing people that are doing many things. So I, I was talking to Peter Bilak. He's a typeface designer, but he does so many things. He's a choreographer and he's a publisher. He's got a magazine. And just talking to these people and seeing passion in their eyes, something I could totally relate to, made me feel a bit more okay with it. But just uh, three days ago, I finished a book that I didn't read for, I think, three or four years. It's called The, the One Thing. And I just finished listening to it and I was so scared that this book is going to tell me to focus on one thing and that I'm going to continue feeling guilty and you know like not manage to to do everything I do anymore and uh, well I, I can tell you the conclusions later but it's it was not the case but <laughs> I, think, I think that um there is a fire there is a fire in a person and um I think you can say there is a fire right like the the, the within fire in you and it's it's boiling. There is no way you can stop. I mean, there is literally no way I can stop myself if I've got if I have a new idea. I will I will just do it, even if I try and stop myself. So sometimes these ideas are even useless or you know they don't have a point, but it's the drive in me that makes me just, you know, go after them. Uh, either if it's something I'm doing on my own and just starting a web page of something or or you know, finding colleagues and starting the first step. So I felt like I had to, this is my, my um, fascination with productivity is I just had to find a way to handle this all without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling like I'm losing myself and my, my family and, you know, my, my yoga, which we'll probably talk about later. But, you know, I have to, I had to find a way to manage everything I do. And this is where I started reading so much about productivity and trying all the systems and all the tools that are available and reading so much about work-life balance, which I also have a very firm, you know, believe on right now. And um, and after I found these systems and I, it was such a trial and error uh, phase that right now I, I'm still really interested in it, but I think I found really good systems right now that work for me and work with how, how I can actually manage this um, this fact that I'm spreading ideas and spreading actions all of the time and how I'm kind of consolidating them and how I'm working with them and not just letting them spread out in space, but, you know, putting them into systems and like I'm kind of managing them and actually managing myself. So it's like a spreading and focusing system that I have. And you have a lot of systems and it's, it's amazing to see. I'm a very systematic p- person as well. Not as much as you, I don't, <laughs> because I'm also very messy. Uh, and it's always fascinating to, for me to see. And it's even calming in a way to read about uh, those systems that you have in place, even if I don't implement them always, uh, because it just, it just helps make sense of the world. Yeah. So you touched a little bit upon uh, the reflections that you do daily, weekly, quarterly, annually. Can you give us a little bit more of a glimpse to to some of your favorite systems that you have in place? Yes, sure. So uh, I can also say that a lot of systems also overwhelm me. And I, I only keep what's working for me. And this is the most important thing. A system shouldn't be a job. And the systems and the tools, they should serve you. They shouldn't be bothering you. They shouldn't be heavy on you. You shouldn't feel guilty for not reaching inbox zero, for instance. And this is, by the way, you asked about the, the newsletter and I didn't tell you, I didn't completely telling you, but this is something I decided to share because um, a few people started telling me that, oh, you've got like crazy systems. We want to hear about them. And of course, I, I thought at the beginning, why would anyone care? You know, classic imposter syndrome. And just after starting to write it, and I'm always almost at the end of this project. So when I started writing them, I started getting like responses from people and I was very surprised. People asked follow up questions or said, you know, asked many things or reacted in different ways that made me think that maybe people are also in this 
overwhelm of life and trying to figure <laughs> out. And if I can help in any way, then this is definitely something I'm happy to do. And, you know, it, it's also helping me because I can kind of break down my systems in a way. So something I, uh, I am very, very, very passionate about is having a place to store your thoughts and, um, you know, to-dos and dreams and I think that once you have places to put it, I, I tell it to my to my daughters, if there is a place for it, there will not be any mess. And by the way, I am a very messy person, like incredibly messy person. <laughs> but uh, but I have now I have places for almost everything. So if I know that there are buckets, let me let me uh, give you it, uh, like give you an example, just not in life and, uh, you know, how to organize toys and stuff. But if I have a place to write my thoughts or my new ideas for a newsletter article, and if I have another place to write my, you know, my new ideas that might not come to life, the fact that I have an idea to put it, I can be relaxed. It can be released from my brain. I won't think about it. I will go into that list when I decide to go on that list and want to be bothered, you know, in the middle of the night with, with that idea. So I have a mess page, which is my, I think my best, my best productivity thing, advice. Mm-hmm. And the, the mess page is while I'm working on, you know, focus time and I use the Pomodoro technique of 25 increments, 25 minute increments of being focused. And this is honestly the most I can do at, at the same time. And then I get, I have to have a few minute break. But once I, once I'm in this focus time, my brain doesn't stop. <laughs> Sadly, it keeps on, you know, providing new ideas and new things I have to do. Oh, I forgot to buy this. I need to, you know, send an email to this person. So I have a, this notebook that is, it's not on the computer because I'm working on the computer. So I need some, some other platform. I have a pen and this notebook open with a mess page and I just jot down whatever I need to do or whatever idea I have or a dream that I need to, you know, take out of my brain. And I just put it there and I go back to work. And then in the middle of the, you know, end of the day, middle of the day, doesn't matter. I go back to these places and then I put it wherever in the proper list. So this, this is a really good tip because otherwise, before I had this, I would stop what I'm doing and then send that email or stop what I'm doing and call that person. And this is really not the way to make any progress with my goals. I love it, especially as a multitasker and just like you, someone who does multiple things, it's so hard when another thing pops into your head to not Mm -hmm. just become completely distracted by it. And I can share uh, with our listeners one great tips and pieces of advice that you gave me a while ago. I was struggling with getting to write and I love writing. I've been writing since I was four years old, but still sitting in front of a blank Google Doc is always very much of a struggle, even if I have many, many different ideas like rushing through my brain. And Liron uh, gave me this great advice of just uh, recording my thoughts on my phone. And then it's not as daunting and overwhelming as committing it to a page or to a Google Doc, because it's not a commitment. You don't have to write it. It's just like taking it off of your mind, just like you said, just finding a place for this mess so it doesn't live on my brain. And then later on, you can just take a notebook or sit down in front of the computer and it it feels much less overwhelming because you've already taken it out somewhere. You've already expressed your thoughts somewhere. So it's not the first time that you're actually doing it. So... Another thing that I've realized about you, which I love, is just like the newsletter, when you have, when you're dealing with something, your way to process it is by sharing it. So one really cool thing that you've done in the last few weeks is that you've had many, many tabs of, um, of articles and blog posts that you wanted to read and you wanted to to read them. You didn't want to just close the tabs like I did one day when I was overwhelmed. <laughs> so so tell us tell us what you did with that. Okay. So first I have to say that I, I mean I have to share with the listeners that I was just shocked with the fact that you told me that you just closed them because you know <laughs> I would never be brave to do so. And I'm sure that your life is just perfectly okay after closing them, maybe even a bit a bit better. <laughs> and I would be, I would be, you know, 
struggling and thinking, what did I miss? You know how many times I accidentally closed all my 1100 tabs uh, open in my browser and then went to back to history and tried trying to restore them one by one. <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's a waste of time and it's useless and there is really no reason to do that. So I saluted you when you said that. But um, I felt like I kept on opening tabs on my phone to read later and I never got to that reading later. And then when I actually wanted to find something, there were literally hundreds of them open. And let, let, never mind that it slows your phone and stuff like that. But I could never find them. And then I said, okay, so it's useless. I'm not reading them and I'm not finding them. And I just feel guilty for not reading them and scrolling Instagram instead. So um, I just set a challenge for myself and I love setting challenges. I I do a 30-day challenge of something, whatever. It used to be like uh, posting on it, my personal Instagram, which also, you know, I, I recognize an obstacle or something that's bothering me that I'm not doing. And then I, I put a frame, time frame on that. And the 30 day challenge is, it's such a good time frame. So I said that for 30 days, I'm going to read, to commit to reading two of these links that are open on my phone. You know, just to keep accountable, I'm just going to document them and put them, store them in a web page that I built for that. Nothing fancy. It was just two thumbnails with links and credits to the person, to the people who were writing this. And every day on Instagram stories, I would just write a few words on this article or why I liked it, why I didn't like it, what I liked about it, just a little insight. And, and that's it. You know, I don't even know how many people read it. I, I, I used to get a few responses to this and it surprised me, but it doesn't matter. It really didn't matter who's reading it. It was absolutely for myself. And I, I also, um, I do a reflections after every project ends. So I have a big list of things I learned with this. And I will, of course, one day, Someday, maybe, I will write the article about this, what have I learned from this project. The article about the articles. I love it. Exactly. It's just amazing. So meta. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, meta is, uh, yeah, I love it. I love meta. I love yeah. meta so much. <laughs> So, so just like you're sharing things, and by the way, I super, super recommend our listeners to follow your Instagram, both your Ravrit Instagram, but also your personal one where you share the articles and you share your thoughts on productivity. And just you have su- such charming um, stories and videos. I, I, I love it. So just like you share things via video or via your project and your newsletter and all of that, you have in the last few years become an international speaker. You've spoken everywhere from TEDx in Vienna to UCLA. So tell us about some of the your favorite places to speak. But also I want to ask you about what does it feel like to speak all over the world? And when you speak about Aravrit, does it feel like it's an extension of Aravrit or is it like its own thing? Is speaking like its own passion and project for you? I used to say that, and I mean, I still stand behind this. I, I, I just love talking. So if, if <laughs> someone is listening, then it's a win-win. Sometimes people tell me, oh, we're sorry that the turnout is uh, kind of low and there are less people than expected. And I say, yeah, it's, it's perfectly okay. I mean, people enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's a win-win always. And I think that, uh, first of all, let me, let me do a side note that I think that it's important to set a model for women to reach out and give these talks. There are not many women, especially in the type design field that are standing on stages and speaking. So if I can do that and, you know, serve, serve as sort of an example of someone who does that quite easily, I have to say, it's not something that stresses me too much. It's a, it's a good stress. I would say it's a good motivation to do it, but I, I, I just love sharing the story. And each time in any place of the world, it will look completely different. The reactions of people to the story, the questions that come afterwards or in, even in the middle of the talk are the things that make the progress of Arvrit. This time to, to hear and discuss these ideas and later go to either a hotel room or go to drinks or get some coffee wherever I'm at, letting it sink and giving it some time to simmer a bit. This is, I think this is the, the magic formula to these talks. This is why, by the way, it's so difficult right now to do these Zoom talks because 
once they're done, they're done. And I don't have any time to process. I'm going back to my email box, email inbox or something. And these, these are just now because we stopped with them for now, for this, you know, coming foreseeable future. I, I understand. And we had some discussions about this. I understand how big part of my life this travel is. So sometimes the stages and the talks are literally an excuse to pause what's happening here. And honestly, I have two adorable daughters. I love my family. But this time away is such a big, big part of my life. Right now, it's totally missing. So I'm literally pissing, missing a piece of my life right now. I so relate. And I think we've talked, we've spoken a lot about how travel, on the one hand, it can be really stressful and jet lag is a real thing. It is. But- It's such, it's such an amazing thing. It's like a time machine. And the fact that we are able, not now, but normally are able to be in so many different places, meet so many people, experience so many cultures is such a privilege. And I think right now we are really understanding how we cannot take this for granted and how amazing it is. And I want to, I want to talk about two things here. So one thing that's just fascinating to me, and maybe it's just the geek in me, it's that Aravrit is so rooted in Israel and in the Middle East, right? It's so local in its origins, right? It's yeah. so, it's so off a place and off a culture. And yet it's taken you to so many different places. And I think so many people from different cultures can, relates to it even if they've never heard a word in Arabic or in Hebrew yes can you talk a little bit about that that's the first question about travel <laughs> yes of course I mean first of all it surprised me as well because I did feel even more than a local project it's a very personal project you know I was reacting to something I discovered about myself and about my life so suddenly I You know, from something that started for myself, it became viral in Israel, and then it became well known around the world. And I keep on receiving emails from people from you know anywhere that they learned about this and they they studied about this in academy or whatever. I just understand how many waves this thing has. So I really tried to, as the researcher in me, t- try to understand why it's happening and why people you know put so much on it. I think, well, there are kind of two answers to this. The first one is that it deals with letters and communication and language, which is something everyone feels comfortable with. So, you know, you don't have to read it in order to understand that this is a form of communication. And when you see communication as a daily thing, you don't pay much attention to it. You don't treat it as something weird. But then there is some modification going on. You understand that something is happening. Something is, you know, Your world be- begins to tremble, something changed in your world, and people can make this connection between communication, Hebrew and their own world. And the second is, I think it's about the act of working on Arit is the act of the hybrid, uh, the act of someone making some sort of impact with with one little project. So when I finished the TEDx talk, there was this computer programmer that came up to me and he said that, you know, you gave me hope because, Before this talk, I used to think that I have no way to make an impact because I'm just a programmer. And when I heard your talk and I thought to myself, okay, I'll try to make the equivalent sentence. Okay, she's just a designer and she's doing something. And you made me think that I can also make an impact by just, uh, double quote, just being a programmer. And this is what I think is. relates to people and you know we all take things from our life so if someone lives in in Brazil for instance which is a place that people really love Arit they think about their own languages and the indigenous languages that are in Brazil and what's happening with them and when they hear about Arabic they say okay so the equivalent here for my life is these indigenous languages am I ignoring them as well so they think about their own life they take Arit as, as, as something that's happening and then they implement it. On their lives and thoughts and dreams and hopes and everything I have to say I don't know if you can see it through zoom and our listeners certainly can't see it but I have tears in my eyes because it's <laughs> such a it's such a profound thing to be able to deliver hope to people and who thought I don't know maybe you thought about it but I don't think you thought about it when you worked on it eight years ago in school no <laughs> uh, beyond design and beyond the cool project uh, even beyond the the activism of it 
it's such it's such a huge thing and such a huge thing on one hand and global thing on the other hand is so small it's so personal uh, and every every person can connect to it so wow i i really salute you on that but i never think about it i mean it's not something you think about ever like not even in my reflections this is something that pops up when there is a good conversation going on so this is uh, you know it's not uh, i don't walk proudly every day for this but these are the moments that i i am i am proud of this So here's one for your next reflection. <laughs> and then another thing I think you can definitely reflect on and you can you, you just touched upon it in uh, one of the previous questions is you are so brave. You are one of the people that I know that will just write an email to someone who never heard about you and many of your international talks right and and different opportunities that you've received here even even what I said it's not opportunities that you've received but actually opportunities that you have created and I think many times as entrepreneurs as designers as professionals we wait for an opportunity to come to us we are. too afraid or maybe too proud to actually take the first step and create it. Talk to me a little bit about different things that you've done to approach people or organizations and say, hey, here's a cool thing. I think actually I'm a good fit to speak at your event or to present something, etc. So uh, first of all, I, I, I wouldn't call it brave. Honestly, I, I don't think, I think there are a lot of brave people, but this is not brave action. I never treat it as brave. It's just... Uh, Something I do, <laughs> just something I do literally, and uh, you 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 have had some insights to this uh, a few weeks ago when we were doing a, a day of out outreach, and I think that the worst that can happen is not bad at all. The worst that something that you know if I write an email, the worst thing that can happen is that someone will not answer or someone will write no thank you <laughs> or I mean. It's, it's even ridiculous that someone will take the time to write, "Oh, you're ridiculous. Why are you suggesting this?" But you know what? If they did, it's not bad at all, because I know that, you know, I don't want this person in my life anyways. The, thing, the worst thing that can happen is not bad at all, and the only thing you can gain from it is, is, is good, really. And you can't move anywhere forward if you don't make a progress yourself, I think. I believe so much in ourselves and in our powers to change things and create opportunities. Sometimes I send out emails that never get an answer. I mean, even most of the times I can say, most of the times people don't really reply to me. And, uh, and I don't think it's bad. I am practicing and I'm making my pitch even better, I can say. And sometimes these things lead to opportunities that I never thought would happen. So for instance, one time I am, I just replied to a tweet that someone posted of uh, does anyone here speak Hebrew uh, it was a it's, it's a very uh, well very 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 good professor from Stanford and he deals with linguistics and I started by helping him and ended up presenting my work in an exhibition in Stanford speaking at a conference in Stanford and then working on multiple projects of design projects with Stanford University which is it's amazing. amazing it's amazing it's a dream client and this person is so kind and we're such good friends right now and this just came from you know a tweet that I replied to and you know I never knew where this is going to lead and there are so many stories like this just you know trying so if you can give one tip to a listener who has a project or something they know they know could be a good fit for somewhere really big what would you tell them to do so either if you've got you know your dream person that you want to share this story with with him uh, for instance you and I know that there is a dream person that I want uh, dream uh, do that I want to speak with and I created a whole video and I just I need to edit it and send it to them but I Either recognize that person you want to send the thing to or just do a very cold spreadsheet of the places you want to reach out because if you send a hundred emails most likely you will get an answer or two so that's that's the first step just recognize who you want to ask to give it to and then just make write an email share your work so identify the right people and write your pitch and don't wait for an intro or something incredible to happen just just do it just do it yes such a, such a cliche but so true just do it 
it's so hard, <laughs> but it's so true. And we we did a few weeks ago. We actually did a focus Sunday where we both worked on things. We were both procrastinating because we were afraid of. And you really empowered me to just just do it. Just send the email. Just write the episode description. Just get it out of the way, and you'll see incredible things happen. And even if they don't, you will feel so much better for having done it. Exactly, because you feel right now. You feel that it's something you need to do. It's it's on your to do list, which whichever shape or form it may have. <laughs> but it's you never find the time. There is no perfect time to send these emails. It's hard mental work and it's phrasing. So some people don't find it so easy to, in, to write. I mean, for me, it takes time. And in the day-to-day and in your work and projects and urgencies, you never find time for it. So this is why focus days have been my answer for this. It's a dedicated day. And just like you said at the top of our uh, conversation, unless you do it or unless you write it somewhere or put it somewhere, it's still creating that mess and overwhelm in your head. So you're still dealing with it and you can wake up at the middle of the night or just be bothered and disturbed by it. So just do it. Okay, so talking about doing it, you started as a designer, but your projects have taken you to being a speaker, an e-commerce shop owner, (laughs) newsletter writer or just writer in general, content creator, and the list goes on and on. And I'm so inspired by you. But I have one question. And this is a tweet that I saw last week. And I so, 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 so identified with. And I'm wondering what you'll think. So this is a tweet by uh, a person called Katie Leeson, uh, L-E-E-S-O-N, if you want to look her up. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, we need to stop glamorizing overworking, please. The absence of sleep, good diet, exercise, relaxation, and time with friends and family isn't something to be applauded. Too many people wear their burnout as a badge of honor, and it needs to change. And this is something I have totally, totally done. Uh, when people ask me how I am, and I would say busy as if it's a good answer, as if it's a good way to define my life, um, as if it's better than saying other things. And as a person who does many, many things, but also someone who's really good about, I think, at least from the side, it looks like like it, finding time for herself. And we both really uh, kind of uh, bonded over our love for yoga. Uh, where where does this find you? How do you uh, react to this? Is this relevant to your life or not? How are you dealing with burnout or with el- like eliminating it even before it happens? Another amazing question because I was I'm I, I suffered from burned out a lot and I for the past few years I've been very good about keeping my let's say balance work life balance but we can touch on that later but not being so 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 overworked and it's hard because I love what I do and I'm very passionate about all the projects I do and I feel very lucky and grateful for this. But, you know, you have to find a way to stop and you have to take good care of yourself. And it's not just a, it's not just a cliche. You really do have to. And I used to feel it whenever I came back from abroad, because when I was abroad, I was overworking myself because no one stopped me. Mm. My husband didn't stop me. My girls didn't stop me. So I just, you know, I just worked. So I came back sick every single time until I, I put a stop to that. I, I just said no more. And I'll, I'll share with you that the, the moment that I actually, I, I don't think I ever told this to anyone, but uh, now listeners, you're, you're hearing <laughs> scoop, <laughs> scoop. Well, my, um, my husband said, you, do you want to watch something on, there was not even Netflix back then, but do, do you want to watch something like a TV show in the evening? And then I said, no, I have work to do. And, you know, it's just a busy time these few months. It's, it will, you know. And then he said, you know what? It's been few busy, busy few months uh, ever since I met you. And it's been, it's been a few years already. So, you know what? I actually just honestly gave up on you and I'm watching. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just watching stuff on my own. I'm not even asking. And he didn't say it to make me feel guilty. He just, stated the fact and the way of how you know indifferent he was to this fact just cracked my heart and I mm. and I said you know what he's right I am always busy and it's not just a phase I will always have 
again, I'm grateful for it, but I will always have many projects. I will always have m- much work. And if it's not clients, it's things I create and I start. So I don't want my family to give up on me. And although I love my work, I love them even more. So I am I'm being very, very, very... Um, I wouldn't say very good, but I'm working towards being very good. I always aim to do very good to to do this um, time away from you know my Mac, away from my iPhone, even if it's with very forced measures as screen time, which just stops everything. I hid all my notifications. I hid Instagram on the fifth page of my iPhone. There is no way I can get to it easily. And even if, if it's that, I understand that it's things that are tempting me and they're not. it's not always a good time for them. So I, I have to find these these um, these things to stop my inner self from you know exploding. But this time is so important. This you know relaxing time with people you love. This is such a good point, and I think one of the things I love about travel is that it used to be at least on the flight you could really disconnect. Now you have Wi-Fi, so it's a problem. I never use the Wi-Fi. This is my rule to myself. I will not use Wi-Fi on flights because <laughs> it's such a precious time to not be, not be available. Yeah, but I think another thing is one thing that I think uh, you can relate to and I can definitely, I have definitely thought about it is that any time that I am away from my phone or my computer is my off time. This is like the time that I'm not working. Maybe I'm even feeling guilty about it. But one thing that moms have known for ages and more and more people know now with the pandemic is that being with your family is also work a lot of time. It's it's fun. It's a happy time, uh, hopefully. But it's also work, especially as a mother to, to young children. So uh, what do you do uh, for yourself? Yoga and travel. And it doesn't matter if it's with the family, by the way. When, it's, when I'm traveling with my family, either here locally or abroad, it's always easier. It's always... Uh, you know, time away from the routine. Our family is very good at stepping out of routine. Everyone takes it really well. So this is, this is a really good time and yoga and, uh, and reading and taking walks with my dogs. These are the things that are literally for me, yoga is just the thing and meeting friends also important. In our podcast, we really, what I try to do is to see how all your decisions in your life and your career choices, your personal choices, how do they reflect your values, what's important to you? So first of all, I think it's like really clear from all your your amazing answers, how you've really built your life around things that are important to you. And you have uh, very much a North Star on um that guides you in what you want to do, what you don't want to do. Kind of a strong core will go to yoga. Uh, so I wonder if you can describe whether it's the system uh, that helps you, you make decisions or a time in your life or in your career that you had to make a decision where you really had to weigh your values and how, how you decided to do or not to do that thing. I think that um, it's more of the general way of knowing that Again, a cliche, but the answers are within. And mm-hmm. I mean, both what I'm creating and my reactions to what I'm creating. I'm, a, you know, I never get bored with being with myself. I mean, I can be my worst critic and I can be my biggest fan. And, you know, I can do stuff and give feedback to myself and reflect on that. But I, I mean, I, I talk to people a lot about these things. And this is why you said there is a clear North Star. And I was wondering, what is my North Star? Because I have no idea. <laughs> so I, I, I love that when people can edit, you know, people, other people. So I don't know. I think maybe just, just me with myself is kind of creating this, this back and forth all of the time. Amazing. I love it. It's such a beautiful thing to never be bored with yourself. It's such a gift. <laughs> okay, so Liron, eight years into Aravrit and into your career, very uh, pretty much. Any thoughts about where you want to be in eight years? I would even say that I want to be less busy, <laughs> work less, but um, I would love to find the answer on what are the right things to work on for me. Uh, what are the things that only I can do and what are the things that I can get some help with and 
you know, make, make things a bit easier on myself. I think it's, uh, we were basically talking a lot about, a lot about good things, but it's, it's a daily stressful thing to be with so many things and ideas and, and to do's. So I would love for, in, in eight years, I would love to figure this thing out. Amazing. So Liron Lavi Turkenich, designer, entrepreneur, creator, sharer, speaker, and all around amazing person and even more amazing friend. Thank you so, so, so much for being here with us and telling us what looks like work for you. Uh, where can people follow along your journey and get inspired by you? So thank you so much for this. It's been such a, such a good conversation with a friend and, you know, an enlightening conversation, I can even say. So thank you for this. Uh, there is always this question, where can people find you? I wish there was a hub for all of these things I'm doing. Right now, it's mainly Instagram <laughs> in, uh, at uh, Liron Love, so L-A-V at the end, uh, or Aravrit, um, which is A-R-A-V-R-I-T, or the Aravrit website, aravrit.com. These are the places right now. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Liron. I really loved this conversation and I hope our listeners will be as inspired as I am right now. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course, the episode's show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words and like an end.com and if you enjoyed this episode i really really hope that you'll like my newsletter too my newsletter is something that i send out every week and i share thoughts links books and just other things that i find thought-provoking interesting somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here or sometimes just joyously distracting Again, the newsletter is sent out every week and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com and I really hope to see you there and of course to see you here next week. Have a good one.